This is Brian Bellick, and I'm joined by my partner, Denny Green. Welcome to the Coach's Show podcast. Here we go. Denny, some uh, interesting games, obviously. And now we're into November and the outcome of the games. We know, uh, obviously, it's much more apparent what the outcome means to these given teams as opposed to earlier in the season. Let's talk about uh, a couple games that were obviously critical yesterday. Cleveland uh, at Dallas. They took them uh, into overtime. Unexpected, obviously, for the Cleveland Browns to be able to go into Dallas. Dallas riding high, feeling pretty good about itself. I guess the thing that jumped out at me when I saw this, beyond the fact that it underlines on any given day, obviously you've got to be at your best because anybody can beat anybody, uh, anybody else. Still more concerns about Tony Romo, not in terms of his ability to play, but in critical situations. It seems like there are mistakes still being made at the critical time in the game. Yeah, you know what, and, and Cleveland had that game. I mean, they really did. I mean, they, they let that game slip away. Uh, the, you know, they're kicking themselves as a 2-7 and seven team. They're kicking themselves in the backside knowing that, hey, we had a chance to get ourselves a 3-7, and seven, which is a lot better than 2-8. and eight. I, I think that Dallas still is a team that, because of the Giants and where they're at, I mean, I think they still can be a 9-7 and seven team, and 9-7 and seven very well. It has in the past be good enough in the NFC East. But, uh, you know, Dallas is still not quite there, you know, as far as being a consistent team, you know. Um, and it's not just so much winning or losing. It's the consistency, you know, doing things right, being able to count on certain things. I mean, are we able to count on our past game this week? Sometimes it can, sometimes it can't. Are we able to count on our run game this week? Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. Can we count on not turning the ball over this week and getting turnovers? You know what I mean? And vice versa. And so I think that inconsistency up and down put them in a situation where they really, you know, had that game almost lost and then were fortunate enough to win it. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm a little concerned, too, that it, it appears that in particularly in some critical situations, uh, particularly there was late in the game when uh, Dallas had the opportunity, had they wanted to go – and uh, actually on a third and one, third and two, go for it, where uh, certain quarterbacks, whether it be a Peyton Manning or a Drew Brees or a Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady, uh, there'd be no question about the coaches thinking in terms of, okay, I'm going to, you don't normally want to pass in a situation, but if this puts the game away here and the clock in such a way, uh, we'll do it with those guys that, again, Jason Garrett, and you can't say he's wrong because he's being conservative and running the ball and wanting to run down some clock. But it seems like there's a hesitation on Jason Garrett's part to really put the ball in Tony Romo's hand or his offense's hand in critical situations where you could close out a game with a good offensive play. Well, if you take those four guys that you named and add Eli Manning, the top five, I just don't think Tony Romo's in that top five category. So I, I think that, uh, I mean, they're a team that conceivably could be a playoff team. I think they've got a legitimate shot, but I don't think there's very many people that would say that Tony Romo's in that category with Eli and Peyton or Tom Brady or uh, Drew Brees you know, or, uh, or Aaron Rodgers. He's not in that category. There was a situation in the game where late uh, uh, Dallas was a man short after an exchange. Uh, actually had to run two players on the field late on a play that Cleveland um, was actually able to score on and, you know, take this game into overtime, which obviously made it very, very critical. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that sequence in terms of the, a lot of people can look at that and say, well, gee, maybe timeout should have been called. Maybe Rob Ryan should have called timeout. Let's talk about that sequence on the sideline, how a timeout gets called 
from the sidelines. Well, you know, I think each team does it a little, a little bit differently. And what happened, of course, first off, we know we have to assume that uh, someone, players, whoever was in the nickel, uh, thought they were going to be in base, whoever thought they were base, uh, and they were supposed to be in nickel. So two guys weren't on the field that should be on the field. More likely than not, maybe it was a substitution because of injury. Uh, maybe it's a substitute because of defense. Maybe it was based on the personnel that Cleveland sent on the field. I mean, you don't know what that is. But it, when it comes down to, you know, is that who can call timeout? Well, the quarterback can call it on the field. The defensive captain can call it on the field. The head coach can call it from the sideline. We had that discussion even last week. And sometimes uh, they'll say the coordinators, offense or defense coordinators, can call timeout. Now, what you do is the official will ask you before the game, who can call timeouts? And in our system, you know, because I felt like I'm supposed to be on top of an offense, defense, and special teams, I say captain defense, 52, captain offense, quarterback, you know, Warren Moon, whatever, number one. Um and me, that would be it. And and uh, sometimes some teams would say either one of the coordinators and me, meaning the head coach, and you know the captain on offense or defense. So uh, how how did you do it, Brian? Yeah, and, and it was it was different, like you said, because you do have to put structure to it. Because then the officials are in a tough spot. Then anybody, you know, if anybody alongside can yell timeout, then you got players, you got trainers, you got you know, maybe the owners start to yell, man, we need a timeout, and so that puts them in a tough spot. The, the only difference that I did was that I, I gave my defensive coordinator, and I was usually standing right there, obviously, but you wanted to uh, eliminate that additional time of communication of him having, if I, and I always told him, if you're ever in a critical situation and you are short a man, you are not in the defense you want, something that you think could make us vulnerable, you're free to call that timeout right now. I didn't want to be in a situation where he said, well, Coach, I need to call a timeout. Why do you need to call a timeout? Well, I'm a man short, or I got the wrong call in, or I think they're going to do something else. Okay, well, if you think that, and by the time you want to get to the official and call a timeout, it's already expired, and that can come down and, 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 and bite you in the backside as well. I've had a couple times where the defensive coordinator did that. And it, and it kind of cost us. But you're right. The bottom line is there's got to be a very specific structure and a very specific protocol, whatever it is. Otherwise, you just got random people calling right. timeout that you don't want to have calling timeout, obviously. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Well, and know, I, I think Dallas is still in a pretty good situation. And, and, again, we've talked about it many times where – you know, just just when you're, you've given up on them, they pull you back in because they play pretty good. The sequence of games that they have, and obviously sitting here at 5-5, five and five, they're only one game back in New York. And when you look at the schedule of the Cowboys versus the schedule of New York, uh, this thing could come down to the end, and, and we've talked about it before. I'm going to be very interested in the New Orleans Saints game. Both the Giants and the Cowboys have the New Orleans Saints. Both play at home, meaning in New York and in Dallas that uh, you know you look at the other games and you could see them fall in a certain way and and not so much for winning the division but New Orleans is going to be a factor in the wild card and if New York or Dallas get into that situation the winner of that game could mean the difference of making the playoffs or not and I'm not going to be surprised if New Orleans beats both of them and I will not because New Orleans is winning and they're giving up 400 yards on defense (laughs) all right now that is very unusual I mean for a team to win and the offense on the other team got 400 yards. And then to come back and they have another game and to win. 
and your defense gave up 400 yards again, you're establishing that this is a high-power offense. All we have to do defensively is get a few turnovers. We don't have to play great. We just have to step up when we have to, get pressure when we have to, get a few somewhere along the way when we have to. And meanwhile, the offense will keep right on rolling. They're pressively running the football, and Drew Brees is having an incredible year. So I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch it happen. Yeah, and the key is those turnovers. You, you'll give up with, you, you know, particularly with an offense led by Drew Brees. Uh, they went to the Super Bowl with that, not having great defensive statistics, but you get enough turnovers and put that offense on a short field, you're a whole lot more forgiving of, of the, the yards that they'll put up on that defense than, uh, than you might otherwise because you're going to get the turnovers. Well, let's go to another game, uh, another one that was surprisingly close and don't know that many people expected Arizona, who is really, really struggling, obviously, uh, and, and is, is start out with a 4-0 start and now has reeled off six straight losses. But to go on the road and play the Falcons the way they did and really take them down to the end, they had an opportunity to win the game. Situation came up in that game that a lot of people they are still getting used to. Mike Smith kind of cost his team when there was a, a turnover uh, that subsequently, once it had been reviewed, might have saved him keeping the ball. But Mike Smith threw the challenge flag, and, and with the new rule, some people uh, aren't aware of the fact that if in, on change of possessions and on scoring plays, there are automatic reviews. And if you throw the challenge flag in that situation, not only is it a penalty with yardage involved, but it stops the review. It eliminates the review. And in this instance, Mike uh, Smith threw the challenge flag, which brought a penalty, and stopped the review that very likely would have reversed the call. Yeah, you know what? And I wasn't as aware of that rule either because I guess at the beginning of the year when they had to replace one officials, that didn't seem like it was that long ago, but it was. Uh, you know, they picked some flags up, and I guess they did not enforce that rule then. Hey, I don't like the rule. I think this is another one that they must have put in on the coaches while they were at a golf tournament or something. The coaches yeah, were probably at a golf tournament. Others. And they stuck, they snuck it in there because as a coach, if you're having a challenge – and something happens, you want to challenge. You don't want to say that, hey, that's going to be reviewed anyway. We know all touchdowns are reviewed, and they're all change possessions are supposed to be reviewed. But, boy, oh, boy, you know, sometimes things are happening so fast. The ball's put in place so fast that you don't, you're not convinced of it. So, But that's, I guess that's why they put it in to say that, hey, we're not going to let you just throw the flag when, when you don't necessarily have to be able to do it. So uh, it does keep him in check. Mike Smith got called on. It's the first time I've seen it happen this year. Maybe I think they said it happened a few other times. But that's a rule that I think the coaches would love to get eliminated because misunderstanding is what we're talking about. Sometimes they're just plain old-fashioned misunderstandings, and you don't want to cost your team the chance to get the results of the challenge because the idea of a challenge is to get it right. If yeah, you got it I, wrong, I agree with you. I, I'd like to see. I like the idea that they've changed the rule that all scoring plays and change of possessions are automatically reviewed. Because the thinking was, well, if there's a mistake made, why should I have to um, extend my challenge situation, of which I only have two? Why should I have to do that on the most critical of plays? Let's just review it anyway. Uh, kind of like we review all scoring plays, and that made sense. What I don't understand is the penalty and the lack of the review. We're saying, right. well, we're not now going to get it right. You know, it's embarrassing enough for the coach that when he throws the flag and the official has to come over and go, well, coach, you really can't challenge that, hand him back the flag. That's enough of a penalty. You've embarrassed <laughs> the guy. Why, why have the take away the review that now allows us to get the play right because of a happenstance of a coach throwing a flag 
on something he really can't challenge. It seems like a severe penalty to me. Yeah, it is, and I, I guess that's why they wanted to, to make sure that the coaches are uh, judicious in when they throw the flag. Yeah, and in that it's, it's just a matter of, of uh, it's a new rule, and he, he forgot, got caught up in the uh, – got caught up in the uh, emotion of it all and uh, and a lot of people will ask and some people say well why don't you hire why don't you have a guy that is there on the sideline or up in the booth that does just that that has all those critical rules and whether you should challenge and and uh, what can is challengeable and what's not and some guys do that uh, there are some teams I remember Herm Edwards had a guy uh, in New York all those years with the Jets that uh, did just that. The problem was he, he screwed it up enough that uh, it didn't help Herm anymore. And that really, at the end of the day, that's what the head coach's job is, to know those rules, know those situations. You can get input from people to know, you know, what did you see? What did you see on the replay? Should we review this? Or what's the circumstance? But at the end of the day, that's the definition of what the head coach's job is. Sure, absolutely. Uh, let's move on to another one here. Uh, uh, and obviously, um, and not another one, but a tough sequence for Ken Wisenhunt in Arizona, who's really scrambling around now with his quarterback situation. He pulled uh, John Skelton after a tough start uh, and uh, put the other guy in, um, uh, Lindley. Uh, he didn't do a whole lot better. Um, but now, you know, people are saying, well, why'd you make the change? Was it too quick? What are you going to do now? At the end of the day, um, Ken Wisenhunt doesn't have a lot of real attractive choices in whatever way he wants to go with his quarterback. Well, he doesn't. I mean, right now, you know, he's lost six straight games. So he won four. He was, you know, he's concerned. Even when they were winning, they were somewhat concerned about the quarterback situation. And you got to also remember now, two years ago, they were a high-flying offense. I mean, they were putting up a lot of points, getting a lot of passing yardage. Uh, now, you know, things have changed. And so I, I don't think it's all can be just quarterback because they're, they're on record pace on sacks on the quarterback also, and so I think the line has been affected by it also. But I, I just think that, you know, you're going to try to do some things of just make it happen and try to, as they say sometimes, get out the whip and start cracking the whip a little bit and see if there's somewhere along the way we can get our guys to play better. Unfortunately for them, it, it didn't work. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, is, is he's making the point and he's trying to hold his team together. Uh, that, that no one's above this type of critique, not even the quarterback position. And so you got to applaud that just a little bit. Uh, but anytime you have to make that example with your quarterback, that's usually not a good thing. Drew Butler punts from his end zone. Jacoby Jones will settle under it inside the Ravens 40. Fields it cleanly at the numbers. Jukes one man, 45-50. Steeler territory 40. He's got an alley, 35-30. Heading to the far corner, 20. One man to beat 10. Jacoby Jones does it again. Touchdown, Ravens! Let's move on to another game, the last uh, or Sunday night's game, excellent game between Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And, you know, you can talk about the revamped Baltimore offense and all the weapons now that Pittsburgh has, but at the end of the day, it's still Baltimore and Pittsburgh, and you knew it was going to come down to a 13-10 slugfest the way it was with offense at a premium because those two defenses got after it. Even though the Ravens' defense has been somewhat suspect over the last couple of weeks, that was a defensive slugfest. Well, it was, and the reason that, that they were, they've been suspect, the Ravens, but not in this particular game, is because Pittsburgh did not have you know their full speed ability to put points up on the board. Byron Leftwich played quarterback, and he was okay. Uh, they were a little bit obvious and, and predictable as far as when they were running and passing, so I think that made it a little bit easier 
uh, you know, on Baltimore. They had a chance for some plays, you know, that they didn't make. I mean, you know, a couple times receivers just didn't get the two feet down. So they went from almost making a good catch being out of bounds when they really were in position to make a great catch with both feet inbounds. And so they had a few of those, and they made a big difference because they wound up kicking a field goal. They would have had a touchdown. They would have been up 14 to 13. So it was that type of a game where if you don't take advantage of the few opportunities that were there, there weren't a lot of opportunities, a few. If you don't take advantage of those few opportunities, then it was going to be very difficult to win that ball game. Yeah, and it turned into what is typical, particularly with that game, a turnover and, and a big play, which was the punt return by Jacoby Ford, uh, which was huge. That was obviously the difference maker. Either one of those team, uh, two things might have made the difference against the Pittsburgh team, who a couple of weeks ago uh, I had uh, and against Washington. This was a confident football team. They were feeling very good about themselves. And then, such as the fate in the NFL, all of a sudden you lose your quarterback. They're still in pretty good position. Uh, they got to play Baltimore again in a couple of weeks. Uh, but they've got Cleveland this week. They're gonna, and then they follow up with Dallas, Cincinnati, and Cleveland. So sitting here at at six and four, they still got a reasonable chance, say, to get to ten wins. But the issue right now is not only is is uh, Roethlisberger hurt, but it looks like they may not have Byron Leftwich. He had a shoulder injury on that touchdown run, and it looks like the Pittsburgh Steelers are shopping around. Charlie Batch is there, and he'll do a good journeyman's job of kind of holding down the fort. Uh, but they're in the market for a, for a backup quarterback now. Yeah, they're going to need that somebody to step in there, and Charlie can start it. And Charlie will play about like Byron played. You know, I, I mean, I don't know if he'll play better. Uh, you know, and and I think that they still have a legitimate chance to, to win that ball game because they, the defense and the defense knows now that hey, we're going to have to go a little bit further, a step further, and try to get ourselves some turnovers. The, and, and I think that's going to be a crucial part for them. They play at Cleveland, so that's good news. Uh, even though we talked about Cleveland early in the game against Dallas, but I think that Pittsburgh normally does, you know, beat Cleveland. And so if there was a time when the third guy, Charlie Bass, can step in, if there's a time when they have to go, you know, pick up somebody, Dante Culpepper, whoever. I see the Bears picked up Josh McCown last week. They were down to their basically their number two and number three guys. So there are quarterbacks that are out there that can play, that can help you. And I, I think that some of the, the teams, uh, Pittsburgh is going to do that. Now, I'll tell you this, there's about to be more just a few because we are getting a lot of quarterbacks getting hit, a lot of quarterbacks getting hurt. Uh, we we will talk later about Alex Smith and and about Jay Cutler as far as the you know the Monday night game two starting quarterbacks out same issue concussions and so I, I think that uh, you know we're going to have to uh, have everybody have three quarterbacks now instead of two. Yeah, and it shows you the value of having that backup quarterback. You know, going forward, Pittsburgh sitting here with six wins, and you try to manufacture saying, okay, is there somewhere we can somehow get four more wins? And somewhere within the next few weeks, when does Ben Roethlisberger come back? You look, they've got Cleveland twice. Uh, they've got San Diego at home, which obviously they had a matchup pretty good. Uh, they've got Cincinnati, although Cincinnati's playing well. Uh, they've got Baltimore in a couple weeks in Baltimore. That's going to be touch one, tough one without Ben Roethlisberger. So Mike Tomlin has to kind of take a long-range approach here going, somehow, how can we survive scratch out, get to 10 wins, and if we can get to the playoffs then with Ben Roethlisberger back, then maybe we can do some damage. Yeah, I think they think he'll be back ready in three weeks and probably back playing well in five weeks. And so that's uh, that's right at the end. Let's move on to the game I had. I was in, in Washington for Philadelphia-Washington, and this was a tough one to watch, Coach. Uh, you know, we both know Andy Reid. His team came in. He's without a starting quarterback, Michael Vick. They had revamped the offensive line once again. It was not very good. Uh, and, and then they're going to start their, their rookie quarterback, Nick Folds, 
totally different style of player than a Mike Vick, came in and, uh, you know, the Redskins right from Jump Street folds, bounces the ball off of uh, Brent Selleck and it becomes a, uh, sets up for a touchdown going the other way. Uh, this was all Washington, and there was a point. There was lots of fight in Philadelphia. They were trying to give the good fight, but there came a point where you could almost visibly see they kind of gave up the ghost. I'm not going to say they quit. I don't think teams quit, but there's an emotional letdown of, boy, this just isn't going to happen, and what that means to them now sitting here uh, in, in the afterla- uh, afterlight of it is sitting here at 3-7. and seven. You know, you can battle and say, well, we're not out of it till we're out of it. But three and seven, boy, that's a that's a tough hill to climb. Well, it is because this is a game that they felt they had to win. I mean, they're both three and six. They're three and six. Washington's three and six. And the idea is, hey, can we get this game? This is when we have to win. I mean, I think if there's a game you're going to win, that's the one you have to win. And when they didn't win it, now that drops them down to three and seven. It makes it very difficult. And I just think that a lot of things aren't going right for them. I mean, it's been a, been a tough year in so many ways for Andy Reid, so your heart goes out to him, and, and you just hope that someone on the line, the team, can find, you know, a chance to, to get a win, you know, that they can look at the schedule and say, hey, we, we're, we're not done. Uh, sure, we've lost seven games, which mathematically you almost can say you're, you're out of the playoffs. I guess you could say you have a chance, but they've got to be on Monday night TV next week, and they're going against Carolina. That's a team that, that they can beat, you know, if they'll step up. And, and play. Carolina also was in a, a two and eight season, a very tough season for them. And so, I mean, you don't want to go and lose to Carolina also. And so you're three and seven. Well, four and seven is a lot better, a lot better, you know, than, than three and eight. And so I, I think that uh, they got an extra day. That's another way to look at it. So, you know, trying to put a positive spin on it, they do have some opportunities. Not for the play also. I think seven at this stage, no way. Yeah, and and it and after the game, and Andy talked in so very familiar terms for anybody that finds himself in that situation. It's almost obligatory for a coach in that situation after a loss to have to say, "Well, they they played hard." Almost, and mostly because the worst thing, uh, the worst indictment that you want to hear is that the players quit on you, right. which I never believe. They don't quit on a coach. If the players quit, they quit on themselves. But the coach is the one that gets the responsibility for it. So any coach in this situation, we see it across the board, one of the first things they say in their post-game news conference is, well, the, the guys played hard, almost to say, so don't go down that road because they're not quitting. Right. And, and they uh, practice hard. And you always say that, yeah, too. Exactly we had, right. We had a good week of practice. We had excellent preparation. We feel good going in. We've played this team many times. They are a rival. I mean, it's a, a quick little butt strip from Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia, you know, and so, uh, you know, this is a rival. This is a game that we felt we could win, and it just didn't happen. Now, RG3 uh, played very well, you know, so there's been a lot of, of uh, Andrew Luck stories, and, and I think most people felt that. If you're talking about rookie of the year, best quarterback, that Andrew Luck had pulled ahead of, uh, of RG3, well, RG3 now is back in the fight. He's back in the hunt. Yeah, and in talking with the Washington group, one of their confidences, even though although they are now sitting here obviously at four and six, and that's a tough order, but the thing that they like is they've got four more games within the division. So they feel like they can impact the division because they play Dallas twice, they play New York, they play Philadelphia again. Now they also have Cleveland and Baltimore. Certainly the Baltimore game, all but at home, uh, is going to be a tough one. But they they really feel like they're still in it, if for no other reason. They can impact the division because they've got so many division games the rest of the way. Right. Let's go on to one, you know, in your neck of the woods, uh, your your Chargers <laughs> went up and played Denver. Uh, you knew it was going to be a tough battle. Some things going on in that game. Again, Phillip Rivers, you know, did some good things, 
but a little like the Tony Romo, and it's uncharacteristic for Philip Rivers, who I think is an excellent quarterback. But in critical situations, it seems like Philip Rivers continues to make mistakes in, in key times in the game. It really has, and I think it's hurt them. They've turned into touchdowns for the other team. It's taken them out of scoring position. And I think as much as anything, you know, he doesn't move real well, and I think once they get him off the dime, they get him to move out of the pocket, you know, then he, and he does, he's a competitor. He doesn't want to throw the ball away a lot. He tries to fit the ball in a lot of times, and when you get down to one quarter of the field, you know, defenders are breaking on the ball. And, and I think that's one of the things that I think he's got to realize is that he gets a lot of these because he's rolling out to the right and he tries to, to, to save a throw. And these guys know it's coming to get a jump on the ball. So it's been tough because the Chargers, uh, you know, have been a team that missed the playoff the last couple of years, have been optimistic about going into it this year. You know, the Denver went last year with T-Boyd quarterback. No one thought they'd be great last year. They made the playoffs. This year they expected to be better because of Peyton Manning. But the Chargers at 4-6 and six are still in second place in a very weak AFC West Division. They've got the Raiders behind them, and of course, Kansas City was only won one game. So this was a game with that going in three, three and uh, or four and five. That this was a chance to get to be five and five, and that was their approach. Now, and they also have done fairly well against Peyton uh, Manning in the past, and they've done fairly well against the Broncos in the past also. So this was a disappointing game, fairly close game, but one that was disappointing in that. You know, with Phillip having two interceptions, the offensively they're not qu- quite there, and the protection has not been good. Yeah, what's apparent to me with San Diego, one, they're not running the ball very well. They only had 53 yards on 23 carries, and it wasn't like the game was totally out of reach to where they just had to throw the ball up. Phillip Rivers only threw it 40 times, but they're not running the ball as well, and clearly the loss of Vincent Jackson. You know, they still got some good receivers there, obviously, with Antonio Gates and Floyd. This young Alexander had a pretty good game as well. But to, to miss that legitimate number one guy, you can tell that, that comfort zone and that, that blanket, that security blanket that Philip Rivers had in uh, Vincent Jackson has hurt them over the course of the season. Yeah, because he's a big-time receiver. And, and you know, Royal has been injured. And, and Eddie has a, a history of being injured a little bit. So I think it was a really risky move. I mean, you know, Vincent Jackson is big and strong. He stays on the field because he is a big, strong, physical player, and they just haven't had that reliable receiving core to go to. Yeah, and, and, but, and having said that, and everything you say about the, the conference and the division is true, but sitting here at 4-6, and six, again, they got Baltimore uh, at home, so certainly that will be an interesting one. But they've got Cincinnati at home. They've got Carolina. They've got Oakland at home. Those are very winnable games, obviously. They've got to go east to play the Jets and east to play Pittsburgh. The question is, do you, you know, can you see um, that they're, they're pretty much going to have to sweep the board? I can't imagine a nine and seven San Diego Charger team making the playoffs. No, I don't think so. Not not in not in the the uh, the AFC, and uh, they're not going to catch Denver. They lost both games to Denver, so Denver also has the has a tiebreaker. I, I think it's a tough one. I mean, they're 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 up in arms out there, and they're up in arms over AJ Smith, the general manager. They're up in arms also. Over North Turner, some of them were up in arms with Phil Rivers, but I think that Phil is executing an offense that he's done fairly well in 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 the past. I'm not sure what what you do now. I mean, I think that uh, you've got to get yourself in a position where Baltimore is coming to town. This is a team that's going to be very physical. You are home. 
uh, a chance to get back in it says that, hey, with us at 4-6, and six, if we beat Baltimore and we knock Baltimore from Baltimore's coming off, and you know this, I bet you if you looked at Baltimore, maybe a week after Pittsburgh is a good time to play them. Absolutely. Would you, would you say, I mean, you know they're going to be sore because of the physical type of a game. You know that uh, that it's going to be – they're not going to have their offensive rhythm down because Pittsburgh does such a good job of disrupting your offensive rhythm that now you got to kind of get that offensive rhythm back. And so I, I think that, uh, that if there was a time to play Baltimore, it'd be now at home. So this is their shot. Yeah, and then they get Cincinnati at home, so it's, it's what we coaches hold on to. Just, you know, give me that one more game. Give me that one more chance, and as I've said many times, you're not in the playoffs until you're in, and you're not out until you're out. You know, you, you, you know, let, uh, let them come tell us when we're, when we're no longer uh, in playoff contention, and we'll go from there. So. And you also need to check out Daniel Jeremiah's Move the Stick column on NFL.com where he talks about the necessity of having big players other than a quarterback, like Avon Miller for the Denver Broncos, to win big games in the NFL. 3.28 to play, third quarter, Patriots up by two scores, they'll have the ball, off the play fake, Brady to throw, hesitates, throws to the middle, and somehow Rob Gronkowski caught the ball at the goal line and then fell into the end zone for a 24-yard touchdown reception. How does the best tight end in football get that wide open? Let's move on and let's talk about uh, Indianapolis and New England. A couple things happened there that obviously was very, very interesting. That was a huge romp by New England. And I always say this, and Denny, we know the formula. We've said it for years. You taught it to me. You've got to win at home. You've got to split on the road. You've got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat and split with the good ones. And one of the more critical ones can be at home against the team you should probably beat, an Indy or New England probably should have beaten uh, Indy. So I give them great credit, even though it was one-sided for beating a team that they probably should have beaten at home in the way that they did it, 59-24. Yeah, and I think that New England, uh, I think, played their game, and I think Indianapolis took on too much pressure. I think there's sometimes you got to go out and say, guys, we just got to play our game and, and, and not really try to stay with them, Don't you know, because I think, you know, Luck clearly, Andrew Luck was clearly uh, – he was he was he was uh you know pressing a little bit and that's why he wound up having to fumble the turnovers you know I think he was trying to do too much you're trying to stay with Brady and I think that's why this was not Indianapolis's finest hours not like the other uh, six games that they've won they did not play that style of game yesterday so you know the big thing now they've got to do is is try to forget about it. now I know that coach is uh, coach Bruce Arian who's the interim head coach right now. Uh, is a little excited about it because you, you, you go into the game thinking, hey, you got a legitimate chance, and you also say this is a benchmark that says who we are. Well, who you are is you're not as good as New England. It will be very difficult to go at New England and win, but who you may be is a team that can say, hey, here comes Buffalo. We're 6-4. and four. Buffalo's 4-6. and six. We are better than Buffalo. Let's focus on Buffalo. Forget about New England as quick as you can. Forget about Tom Brady as quick as you can. Forget about the type of team they are as quick as you can. And focus on Buffalo and say we're going to get Buffalo and get our record of 74. And that's going to be a springboard to that 10 wins that you have to have to be in the playoffs. Yeah, I, after a, a beat down like that, a lot of times I, I would not want my team to look at it again. I didn't want them to get beat twice. I didn't want to wear them out emotionally having to view that again. Uh, again, if it was just a matter of you just physically got a butt whooping, uh, your players don't need to see that. Now, if right. there were some tactical things, mental errors, which I'm sure there were, 
what I would typically do is I felt like if they needed to look at it, I would break the film down with 8, 10, 12 plays, 15 plays on either side of the ball that I wanted the players to see. Uh, the, the technical aspect of, look, we needed to step here. We needed to use the right hand. Uh, we made a, an error here. We misaligned here. Whatever it was to teach and to say, we know better than this. Let's not do this going forward. But then move on. Let them go home. Uh, let them regroup on Wednesday because you didn't want. I didn't want my team to get emotionally beaten up twice after a butt whooping like the New England Patriots laid on Indianapolis. Yeah, and, and I think that's the right way to go about it. It normally pays off that way. Forget about it. Uh, it happens. Maybe we'll play them again in the playoffs, and if you do, you'll handle it a little bit better. But for now, let's focus on another AFC team, another AFC East team, in fact, in Buffalo. And, and at the end of the game, of course, everybody's talking about uh, Rob Gronkowski breaking his forearm uh, on a PAT on a game that was clearly out of reach. A lot of people are questioning Bill Belichick keeping uh, Gronkowski or even a Tom Brady in the game. And I think people have to understand, look, I only got so many bodies. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, for the most part, you're going to hand the ball off. I should have a reasonable expectation that my star tight end can be in on a PAT field goal <laughs> and not get hurt. The idea of I'm going to pull this guy or pull that guy, I think people have got to appreciate. Once you start doing that, you also have to be careful about going, well, you know, these three, four, five guys are important enough. Right. Let's take them out. But the rest of you guys, you've got to keep playing hard. And, in fact, they very much might have pulled him out on offense. And, and the process is that, let's say they say, all right, Gronk, you're out. You know, and he says, what about special teams? Check with the coach. He goes to the special teams coach. Coach, I'm off the field on offense. Do you need me on special teams? The coach might say, yeah, you've got to stay in. At, at, uh, at the wing or tight end, or he might say, no, you're good. I'll put the third guard in or the second guard in or something. But normally they'll want you to stand at a tight end. I mean, normally he'd say, hey, we don't want to have to go through all that, you know what I mean, just when we go to kick a PAT or a field goal. Second and five at the Jacksonville 48-yard line. No backs. Three receivers left. Schaub in the gun. Throws it right side. Wide receiver screen. Andre Johnson across the 40, 35 to his right, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Rock and roll. The Texans win it. Andre Johnson, 48 yards. My goodness. Houston wins in overtime. Dan, let's move on to another game. It seems like we had a, n a number of games of teams that looked like they should have been in one-sided game. Jacksonville, who has just struggled in so many levels, went in and really challenged the league-leading Houston Texans. Now, the Texans didn't do too bad. Matt, Matt Schaub said just, you know, unbelievable numbers and what he was able to do in the game. You look at the box score and you're thinking, yeah, this is what I you know, thought I'd see. 640 yards by the Houston Texans, 504 by Matt Schaub. The problem is the Jacksonville Jaguars may be the worst offense in the National Football League. Darn near put up 500 yards themselves. You know, let's, let's talk about how does that happen? How does a Jacksonville Jaguar team come in here that has struggled on so many different levels? They don't have their best player, uh, Maurice Jones-Drew, and yet they go in and they have the kind of day uh, that they did, particularly when it was a backup quarterback in Chad Henney that in relief of uh, Brad uh, uh, or excuse me, Blaine Gabbert, that went in and really spurred them to almost uh, pulling off the win against Houston. Yeah, you know, and I think it would have tells you is two things. One, I think they've got pretty good control of their offense. They're going to show up and play, I think, because of Schwab at quarterback. Uh, I think, you know, the, the running back fosters such a talented player. They got big-time receivers in Johnson. But I think what it tells me about their defense is for them to play well, they have to be on their game. They have to be focusing on their game. Uh, they're very specific on, on how Wade Phillips has them doing certain things. And I think mentally they weren't into it. They took this one win, one and eight team 
of Jacksonville very lightly. I think they felt that with with their starting quarterback, uh, you know, is not going to be a factor. I think there were a lot of things that took place, and it almost bit them in the backside. I mean, because there's no way you give that kind of yardage to a Jacksonville team that has struggled on offense, and that's what they thought. So I think it tells you something about Houston's team, that, and I think that's what, what uh, Kubiak's going to tell him. He's going to say, guys, you know what? We may think we're pretty good, you know what I mean? And I think when we're on our game, we're not too bad. But I'll tell you something, guys. If we ever forget who we are, if we all of a sudden start thinking we're better than we are, anybody in this league can beat us. That's, that was proven today when Jacksonville came within a whisker of beating us. That 1-9 and nine Jacksonville team, that ineffective offensively Jacksonville team, wore our backsides up. And so hopefully it's a cautionary tale for Houston because they did not look very good with, on the highlights I saw because there were a whole lot of highlights on that game. Well, you love getting those life lessons, when, particularly when it doesn't cost you a game, yet you still have that teaching moment. We talked about Indianapolis showing or not showing the film to their players. If I'm Gary Kubiak, I'm going to make them sit there and watch every bit of this game to reinforce just what you're saying. Guys, we almost let a game against an inferior opponent get away from us. I mean, that secondary looked like the secondary of two years ago that was the worst in the league before he brought in uh, Phillips to get it corrected, and they've been so good. But to give up 354 yards against uh, Chad Henney and that Jacksonville defense or that Jacksonville offense, there's a lot of lessons in there, and it's just like what you probably said, Denny. There were some breakdowns in communications. They didn't play their techniques just right. They didn't play at the level that you know you have to to win at this league. Uh, in this league, and it's a great lesson for them to see, guys. We can show, we we can see how vulnerable we are here when we don't do the things that we know we're capable of doing. Um, let, let's let's go to Jacksonville side. What do you think uh, Mike Malarkey does now? I mean, obviously he did not draft Blaine Gabbert, so it's not like he's tied to Blaine Gabbert. Chad Henney comes in and lights this thing up. What do you think he does going forward? Well, stay I with think Henney you know, back I, I would stay with Henney. We're at home. All right, we have Tennessee coming to town. Tennessee's coming off of a bye. Tennessee's coming off of a tang, a, a tongue lashing. Uh, Jacksonville has to feel confident they have a chance to beat Tennessee. Go with the hot hand. I mean, if you look at, at Chad Henning's numbers, you know, he, he, he only he had 50% now. He had 16 completions out of 33. But he made big plays and big plays, you know, down the field. So, And I think that they've struggled with Blaine Gabbert. So I, I think you just stick with this guy. It's home. It's a chance for the home team fans to see this guy who almost gave us a legitimate chance to beat Houston and, and do it that way. I mean, at least you got a shot. Yeah, I, the, the thing for Mike Malarkey is, and, and we can't answer that question, only he can, is does he really believe in Blaine Gabbert? Does he think this can be their guy? I think if you don't go back to Blaine Gabbert, you're sending the message, okay, this wasn't right, we're wrong. I don't know what that means to Gene Smith, the general manager who drafted Blaine Gabbert, obviously with a new owner now. I mean, we all know there's a price to pay when you miss on a first-round quarterback, and this wasn't Mike Malarkey's call. So I think it comes down to do you believe in Blaine Gabbert? And if you do, if you still think he's a guy, then you got to put him back in and let him fight through this because you got to know before the end of the season's done, is this going to be the guy or not? I think if he goes with Chad Henning, and I agree with you, Chad Henning probably gives you the best chance to win. But if you go with Chad Henning, you're probably done with Blaine Gabbert, and that's, that's probably an organizational decision that's got to be made, uh, made going forward. You know, talk about a vulnerable team. You know, Romeo Cornell continues to be in a tough, tough spot. Uh, things are getting real heated in Kansas City. Uh, they're getting very co- uncomfortable at home, obviously, even at home. It's almost like it's an away game. He's sitting here at 1-9. and nine. 
Uh, he's got the Denver Broncos coming to town. Um, this is not an enviable position to be in. Right. No, it isn't because what's happening, the fans are now becoming amused. You know, they're amusing themselves and they try to outdo each other. So the fans are not wearing, you know, normally you go in there, everybody's in red. They all wear red, loyal fans. They light up Arrowhead Stadium with all the red. Well, a lot of fans wore black. Okay, you're in mourning. A lot of fans did the old bag over the forehead. We're, we're ashamed to be chief, a uh, chief uh, team. And so, and, and I think that, uh, you know, they're disappointed now. They just haven't played well. I mean, I think that's that's part of it. You're, you're right. They do have Denver coming to town. Ugh. You know, Denver is serious about football, okay? Peyton Manning is serious about getting this team in the playoffs. He's serious about getting back on his career. He's having fun. Like I said, they, they now are running the entire Peyton Manning. I don't know what their playbook looked like before, but believe me, it is a Peyton Manning offense that he has run so well when, when Tom Moore was his coordinator and Tony Dungy or Jim Caldwell, you know, was the head coach. And he's running it extremely well. Everybody else is kind of caught up to it. So, uh, and I just think that uh, Kansas City, you know, if we can just get up. Now, I know the fans, they, they get disappointed. You know this. They come in. As soon as you get a first down, they'll cheer again. They really will. As soon as you score a touchdown, they'll cheer again. So what you've got to convince your players is, is guys, what will take care of this fan disappointment, this fan show of disappointment that's so obvious is for us to, to play better, for us to score. Whether we win or not is not the issue. Have some fun by getting some points on the board, getting first downs, doing those things that you do that you're a good football. Intercept some balls, get some tip balls, sack the quarterback. Do some things that are good about the game of football. Otherwise, it'll get uglier because when it goes in and it's ugly, <clears throat> if you don't play well at all, then that's when a lot of fans leave, and you wish a lot of those other ones would leave because the ones that stay are staying just to harass the, the coach. Yeah, not a good position to be in. And Scott Pioli, you know, it's not like he can fire Romeo Cornell and bring in an interim. He's already used that card trick last year, and Romeo was the guy, and the players supported it. So they're going to have to deal with this together. It's not a good environment to be in, clearly. And it almost becomes every game is a road game. we yeah. got to take the same mentality because it's us against the world. In Oakland, similarly, you've got an owner come out, Mark Davis, and basically said he was embarrassed, didn't like the direction was going, but still had confidence. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about an owner that feels compelled to make an observation like this during the season. My opinion has always been the same. Anytime an owner says anything during the season, it's not a good thing. No, and, and normally what he should say is no comment. I mean, you know, they don't give interviews. There are only a few coaches that have had, had uh, owners, head people of the organization, that will make comments, and most of them know not to do that. And I think this is a case, too. I mean, everybody knows the Raiders are struggling. They played a little bit better last year. But the guy who did that, you fired him. So now you're almost starting over again. And in starting over again, uh, it's just not there. I mean, you know, just not not a really good football team. And so he may be disappointed, but most people are saying the Raiders are just where they everyone thought they'd be. They're, you know, they're sitting there with a record in a in a very weak a very weak AFC West. I said that before at three and seven. That's about probably where most people thought they'd be a three and seven. And and then with a chance to come up and say, okay, well, how, how do we play next? Well, they're where? Let's see, Brian. Where are they at on this week? They have. Oakland's uh, at see. Cincinnati. Cincinnati yeah. five and five. Cincinnati is a much better team than five and five. And having C going west yeah. is is a tough time Just for him. So Cincinnati is more of a six owner. and four. He's what yeah. it is. Yeah. to be an owner, and he had to take the lead from some of the other smarter owners that just don't comment during the season. Right. Gets him into a tough spot. And well, 
Coach, it was uh, good visiting with you. A lot going on. Uh, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everyone.